them. So, Father, as we come to do our study here tonight, we do remember for those who are up uh, working on these fires to suppress them, to contain them. There's very little containment. It, it is very hazardous fire conditions right now, fires that are running uh, through a lot of dead timber and brush and fuel and in the heat. And, Lord, we just pray for relief. We pray for rain, uh, for uh, there to be moisture for these firefighters for their safety and lord uh, we just lift that all up to you and lord it has been a difficult season uh, for us as we also going continuing through this pandemic and lord uh, we are encouraged when we read jeremiah that is speaking to a nation that is going to go through such devastation but yet there's words of hope and praise. And we need those words tonight. Because I know that there are those who are listening right now that are trying to move forward in uncertainty and wondering, even as we're trying to move forward as a church, that how we can do safely the in-person services and register people. And it just seems like a lot. And I know it's not perfect and we're going to be perfect in it. But, Lord, may we be patient with one another, and may we care for one another. And, Lord, there's ministry to be done. We need to be encouraged and be with the brethren. But, Lord, we want to do it safely. And we also want to encourage those who are wondering and wrestling, that we want to bring them Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message of this place. So tonight, touch our hearts. Teach us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us in our study in Jeremiah, of course, you know that Jeremiah is speaking to a nation that's about ready to, to have Jerusalem be destroyed. As we went into chapter 32, Jeremiah was uh, put into the prison there in Jerusalem. It was, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 32, the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The captivity has already begun. It began in 605 B.C. when Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, was king. And he comes in and he takes Daniel, the choice man of uh, Judah, away to Babylon to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. Matter of fact, uh, on Monday I did a two-hour class teaching at the Calvary Bible Institute in Peru. And we read that in Daniel chapter 1, how it was during the reign of Jehoiakim that Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, began to take the articles of the house of the Lord away, the, the treasuries away, and began to take the people away into captivity. It would begin at that point in 605 B.C., and we know that another deportation happened as, as Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came back in in 597 B.C. And it would be Jehoiakim taken off into captivity and Ezekiel the prophet. So you have Daniel who's in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He's being used of the Lord. You have Ezekiel that's off into captivity in Babylon. And now you have Jeremiah that's in Jerusalem that's receiving the word of the Lord. And in chapter 32, and as we move into chapter 33, this is the time where the third deportation, or that is the final assault on Jerusalem, is just about two years away. Uh, Zedekiah would be the last king of Judah before Nebuchadnezzar comes in. 
and destroys the holy city and destroys Solomon's temple. And, of course, we have seen that Jeremiah has given the word of the Lord to Zedekiah, saying, Zedekiah, listen, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And you are to just submit to him. You'll be under his rule. The captivity is going to last for 70 years. Uh, there were the false prophets that were on the scene that were saying, hey, the captivity is going to be done in, in a year or two. Nebuchadnezzar is going down. We're going to be back. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah told Zedekiah, he told the leaders and the people, don't listen to those false prophets because they are prophesying wrong that the captivity, as we saw in chapter 29, is going to be for 70 years. Then God will visit you and begin to bring you back into Jerusalem, which would happen in 536 B.C., after the fall of Babylon and the Medes and the Persians take over Babylon and Cyrus the king makes that decree that it can come back, Zerubbabel leading about 49,000, just under 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem uh, and Joshua the high priest to rebuild the temple. So all this has taken place. In chapter 33, it's uh, again the word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah a second time as we read in verse 1 of that chapter, while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying. Now we know that Jeremiah, as he is in prison, he's shut up. We, we know that God is still working and speaking to him. And here's the thing, that Jeremiah, as they shut him in the prison, what amazes me is Zedekiah is thinking, you're a traitor, Jeremiah. You're speaking against me. You're speaking against the nation. But Jeremiah was speaking truth. So he thinks, I'll put him in prison. That'll shut him up. I don't have to hear him. And I know for you and for me, even as we move into chapter 33, he's still in that prison, and the Lord's still speaking to him. And I know that as we are in the days in which we are in, sometimes that we have to speak words of truth to people that aren't easy for them to hear. It wasn't easy for Zedekiah to hear the words of, of Jeremiah. Listen, Zedekiah, you're going to be under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And don't rebel. If you do, the city's going to be destroyed. And here is Zedekiah that, that he refuses to listen to truth. He shuts Jeremiah up. And perhaps as you come and spoken truth to, to people around you, and, and maybe as they are involved in sin, carnality, that which is wrong, and you said, that's wrong. Don't do that. Turn away from that. The Lord loves you. Turn to him that they tell you to shut up as they shut up Jeremiah in the prison. And you might feel that you're kind of, in a prison, this workplace has become a prison because no one wants to listen to me. Uh, my home has become a prison. My neighborhood has become a prison. My, my school has become a prison because nobody wants to listen to me. The good news is the Lord desires to still speak to you. And he desires to still use you and encourage you. And that's what he's been doing in these chapters, in chapters 30 through 33, those chapters of consolation, that there is going to be a message of hope because I'm sure Jeremiah as difficult as this is for him and for Jerusalem Babylon's ready to destroy the holy city and Jeremiah might have thought how can God restore a nation that seems so destined for doom and so the Lord's going to get some wonderful promises 
And as we read in verse 2, thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, verse 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I have verse 3 of chapter 33 underlined, and then I come back to this verse oftentimes, that the Lord says, Jeremiah, it looks bleak. You're in prison. There is doom that is coming. But Jeremiah... I'm the Lord, one who is the Lord. I think about last week, remember if you were with us in our study, that Jeremiah, God is assuring Jeremiah of the, of the people's return. They are going to come back. There's end-time implications to that, just as we're going to see here in this chapter as well. And Jeremiah, as he's praying for understanding, Jeremiah is, that the Lord says that I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In other words, Jeremiah, I'm the one who made the heavens and the earth, and he is almighty God, and there's nothing too difficult for me. There's nothing too difficult. And Jeremiah here is being built up just as you and I need to be built up in the days in which we are in, that we can know that, that he is the Lord. There is no, none other. And he is almighty God, and there is nothing too difficult for him to do or any situation or circumstance to where he can't work. And so he tells us, this is a message for us, you call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah, I'm going to show you great things, mighty things that you do not know. And the Lord desires to do that work in our hearts and in our lives. And I want us to keep in mind that here is Jeremiah being told that I'm going to show you great things. The Lord didn't say that I'm going to give you great things. You see, there's a few people that will read this and say, oh, this is telling us that God's going to, you know, make me wealthy and I'll be able to name it and claim it. And no, he says that I'm going to show you great and mighty things. As the Lord shows us about his love, his compassion, his grace, how he desires to work in our lives and, and the people around us that we're linked to. It's a wonderful promise and in verse 4, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege, mounds and the sword. And they come to fight with me, Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury and all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city." So people were tearing down their houses to fortify the walls uh, as Babylon was preparing to push those walls down, the walls around Jerusalem. And God is saying it's a futile attempt. They were to surrender, but they refused to surrender. They refused to listen to the word of the Lord. It just shows the hardness of their hearts. Really, do you think you're going to stop Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty army, the most powerful army on the face of the earth, uh, this empire that's so powerful, you really think that you're going to be able to fortify the city and be able to keep the Babylonians from coming in? Do you think, Zedekiah, that throwing Jeremiah into the prison to shut him up, that that's going to change anything? Sometimes we do see the hardness of men's heart. We can talk to them. We can warn them. We can plead with them. 
that the judgment of God is real. If you don't turn to Christ, that sin will be judged. And yet they will not open their hearts to the Lord, soften their hearts to the word of the Lord. They harden their hearts to it. They continue doing what they're doing, just as they were here, even up until the destruction of Jerusalem, even though they see the armies that are surrounding the walls. You know, we can see the signs of the Lord's coming all around us. We can see the storm clouds gathering, but yet people will ignore it. And it reminds me of the book of of, uh, Revelation, that in chapter 6, when you see the sixth seal that is opened up, and there's this cosmic disturbance, there's this geologic upheaval that has taken place, and we know that, as chapter 6 tells us uh, of Revelation, that, that the sky rose up like a scroll, and then men hid themselves in the rock, saying, uh, you know, we're going to hide from the one who sits on the throne. You know, and yet they refused to repent, Instead of saying, Lord, forgive us, we turn to you. They said, hide us from the one who sits on the throne. The hardness of men's heart. In another chapter, and when the trumpet judgments are coming, and I believe it's chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, that the last three trumpets that are blown, and, and there's all this intense judgment, and it tells us that they refuse to repent from immorality, from uh, theft, from murders, uh, from uh, drug use. They refused to turn to the Lord. In these, these trumpets that were called the woes, you know, woe in the final three trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet blows, and then seven angels stand up with the bold judgments. But yet they refused to turn to the Lord. In the battle of Armageddon, at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, when the armies of the world gather in the valley of Megiddo, they will stop fighting each other and they will turn in and fight against Jesus to no prevail. He's simply going to speak and he's going to destroy those armies. So the hardness of men's heart. And I just want to say this tonight. Please don't harden your heart to the Lord. And it can happen in a very subtle way to us. That we hear the the voice of the Lord, we read the the word of the Lord, you need to forgive. Uh, You need to speak to that person. Uh, You need to do this and turn away from that thing. Um, It's holding you down. You need to repent of this. And we don't want to harden our hearts. Lord, I'm not going to forgive them. Lord, I'm not going to give up this thing. Lord, I'm not going to be obedient in this area. And we make excuses. Don't harden your heart to the Lord. And maybe we be ones that are always soft before the Lord. You know, one of the things that we're going to see in Matthew's gospel in, in a couple weeks is he's talking to the Pharisees who had hard hearts and, you know, full of religiousness and hypocrisy and all of that. And he says to them, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here to patch up the old system. And you don't put new wine in old hardened wineskins. But you put new wine in new wineskins. You put new wine. He uses a different Greek word for new wineskins. It's renewed wineskins. And and what they would do in those days, and we'll talk about it when we get to that study a week from Sunday, is they would soak the wineskins because they were expensive. You couldn't just go down and buy a new one at Walmart. You know, it was expensive. And so what they would do is take the, the hard 
wineskin and they would soak it in water and they would soak it for a while to where the elasticity and the flexibility would come back. And, and then, you know, you could put the new wine in that because then as it expanded and fermented and all of this, it, it wouldn't break. And how do you and I, how do we stay soft? How do we stay flexible in the Lord? You soak in, in the water of the word. You soak in the scriptures. You seek him. And you take heed to what he says. Oftentimes Jesus said, take heed. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. Oh, let the word of God soak your heart. Fill your heart. Don't be hard towards the Lord. And then as we continue in verse 6, behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal them, uh, reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and will rebuild those places as the first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. And then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. So ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the future in the restoration of Israel. We've discussed that. Uh, this chapter, at the end of chapter 30, you recall that in the latter days you shall consider it. And in chapter 31, the, the new covenant that shall come. And you shall know the Lord as he speaks to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here he's reiterating it. There is going to be a time when they are going to be restored. And I will pardon their iniquities. They're going to realize that the Lord is real and Jesus is their Messiah. And it's interesting, verse 7, I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and rebuild those places as at the first. Now, they are going to come back from the Babylonian captivity, the house of Judah. The house of Israel up north, they, they were taken away captive. There was no return like in the house of Judah. Some of them were left behind and, and the Assyrians came and settled in that area. But we know that this is talking a future implication because Jesus spoke about how that they would be going to captivity in the Olivet Discourse, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, which it was in 70 AD by the Romans, and they will go to the nations, but they're going to come back. And Jerusalem's going to be trampled on their feet until the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled. Uh, and we know that that there's a partial fulfillment of that right now is Israel has become a nation. And keep in mind, as I've already said, that Ezekiel, he's off in Babylon and he's prophesying. And when you read chapters 36 and 37 and 38 of Ezekiel, they're amazing. And we're seeing those, you know, chapters 36 and 37, a partial fulfillment right now. It'll ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back and restores the nation of Israel which is going to take place in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will take you from among the nations, plural, and gather you out from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So Ezekiel is talking about time when I'm going to bring you from all the nations, not just from Babylon, but all the nations. I'm going to bring you back into your land and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Sound familiar? Very familiar to what Jeremiah has been saying. 
And again, Ezekiel 36, so they will say that this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and, and, and the wasted, desolate, ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. That's a promise of the Lord. He says, I will do it. And we're going to see that he's going to... Uh, affirm his covenant that he made with them and his promises that he's made with them. I'm going to bring you back from the nations. I'm going to plant you into the ancient, you know, land. You're going to build the ancient cities, a land that was desolate. When um, the Jews came back into the land, uh, the, the Turks, when they ruled over that area, they cut all the trees down. And it was Mark Twain, as many of you know, that would even write as he went to Israel, and he said, who would want to live in this desolate place? It's desolate. You go there now, what they have done to the land, rebuilding the cities, uh, the agriculture that's there, the plantations, the forests that they've planted, an absolute miracle. And this, again, will be ultimately fulfilled when the Lord restores the nation. In chapter 37 of Ezekiel, that thus says the Lord, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king uh, shall be one king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. So they've come back into the land. It is the land of Israel, a partial fulfillment. They are in the mountains of Israel, and ultimately it will be fulfilled in the millennium reign. So we've seen amazing things happen in, in our lifetimes, in 72 years ago, and becoming a nation, coming back from all the, the nations of the world, being out of their homeland for 2,000 years. That is a super sign of the end times. And it's interesting, Ezekiel 38, we won't go into it, that the battle of Gog and Magog that is yet to be fulfilled. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years, talking about in the last days, you will come into a land who brought uh, back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely." So Ezekiel 38, which is that battle that includes Russia and Iran and Turkey and other nations that will invade Israel, and, and we have those studies up on our website. But he says, when a time when you're back in the mountains of Israel, in that land that was desolate, and you're dwelling safely there. So it's amazing that these prophecies that were written uh, 2,600 years ago, and Jeremiah says that the Lord and Ezekiel, that these things are going to come to pass. The Lord promises that it will happen, and we're seeing it before our very eyes. And then as we continue in verse 10, thus says the Lord again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man, without beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of the first song that Travis was singing. I was thinking of this, that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Praise the Lord. And whatever it is that we're going through, and Jeremiah, even though doom is coming to Jerusalem, 
And even though you're shut up in the prison, that the Lord is going to show us great and mighty things. You know, we're going to go home to be with him. We're going to rule and reign with him in the millennium reign. We're going to be with him in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. We have a wonderful future, and it should cause us to be thankful and to praise him. And whatever it is that you're going through, and listen, I don't ever want to make light of the difficulties and the pain and the sorrow and the grief that you're going through. But we do have reason to praise him and to know that we have a future and hope that only comes from him. And those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return, as the first says the Lord. What my prayer is for this place, as we come back inside, that there be the praises of God in the house of the Lord. Not murmuring, not complaining, not grumbling. I pray the praises of God would be prevalent here. And we have reason to praise him. Yes, it's not going to be what it was before the, you know, the 1st of March. It's not going to be like that. But we still have reason to praise him and to be thankful to him and to be kind to one another and, and to look out for one another because we are a blessed people. And no pandemic, nothing like that can stop us from praising the Lord because he is Lord over all that. Whatever circumstance you're facing, whatever problems that are before you, that we can praise him and be thankful. And I pray that the sacrifice of praise would be in this place. I can't wait for it to happen once again. And thus says the Lord of hosts, without man in verse 12, and without beasts in all the cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds, causing their flocks to lie down. And in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, the land of Benjamin, and the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says... The Lord, So joy and gladness and peace and prosperity again will be experienced by God's people. Uh, there's a near fulfillment of coming back into Judah here. And Benjamin was in that area around Jerusalem. And once again, you'll come back into the land. But we also know there's a future implication as well as we talked about. And behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And in those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she shall be called the Lord our righteousness behold the days are coming that phrase is used matter of fact 16 times in the book of jeremiah seven of those times used to reference judgment but nine of those times speaking about future restoration and blessing and here's the blessing and when the lord you know of righteousness that is his name uh, a branch of righteousness is speaking of jesus that he's going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign from Jerusalem. In verse 17, For thus says the Lord David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests and the Levites lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. Now here's the interesting thing here, that um, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David, and God promises that the covenant that he makes with David 
uh, in Second Samuel chapter 7, you can read that, we've talked about it, that those, you know, that promise there'd be a continued man qualified to sit on the throne. Now, there have been those that have looked at this and thought, well, that was wrong because Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. And it's wrong, Jeremiah, and what, G, G, you know, the Lord promised David, that you'll never lack a man on the throne, that your throne will be established forever, um, that, the, you know, the word of God is wrong because the monarchy would be broken in 586 B.C., Zedekiah being the last king. But it's not wrong because the righteous branch would come to claim his throne, Jesus Christ. He's going to come back, the son of David, the, the greater than David, a descendant of David. He's going to sit upon the throne of David as we see that then God promises that there's going to be this permanence of, of an assurance of his covenant and promise that he's making with them. And, and this encourages me because I know that his word and his promise is true for me. Let's read it, verse 19. And the word Lord came to Jeremiah saying, and thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will be not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and with the Levites and with the priests, my ministers. We do know that, matter of fact, when we go into Ezekiel, that in the millennium reign, in the last chapters of Ezekiel, it speaks of the millennial temple during this time the second temple or the first temple excuse me solomon built is going to be destroyed they come back they build the second temple zerubbabel and 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 then herod would expand it to where it became a magnificent structure overlaid with gold and then the romans destroyed the second temple in 70 a.d we know there's going to be a third temple in the tribulation period. There will be a temple that's going to be the temple that the Antichrist is going to desecrate. And then in the millennium reign, as that temple will be uh, destroyed, the tribulation temple, it will be torn down. And then there's going to be a millennium temple that is there. You can read about it all in the end of the book of Zechariah or, or Ezekiel. And there's going to be sacrifices once again, not for sin, but as a memorial, the Levites and priests ministering. We'll get to that and talk about that more in details in the future studies. But uh, here he says this, as we read this, that man can't stop the day and the night. You know, heaven can't be numbered or the sands of the seas as we continue reading in verse 21 or verse 22. He says, then my covenant, if, if you can stop the day, stop the night, then my covenant may be broken with David. Verse 22, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. So what he's saying here is, listen, my covenant is strong. If you can number the grains of sand on the seashores, which is impossible, if you can stop the day or the night, uh, uh, then, then my covenant can be broken. In other words, it will never be broken. The assurance, the permanence of his covenant he made with them, the promises he made with them is so tight. These are verses that you want to show those who say that God has cast away his people. 
Uh, verse 23, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off? Thus they have despised my people as if they should no more be a nation before them. And thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that I will not take away of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them." The Lord is making a very strong case here. Um, there were some that were saying, you know, throughout uh, this time, there were some today that say that God has broken his, his promise to them, that he's not going to restore them. That's actually a pretty popular uh, stance in, in some evangelical churches, replacement theology. God has cast away his people. When you have those who say that, show them this chapter. Show them these verses. Is God really cast away his people? Paul said in Romans chapter 11, has God cast away his people? He says, certainly not. No way. And then he talks about the future of Israel, that in that day all of Israel will be saved when the Lord comes back. Here he says that, that um, you know, if you can stop the day and the night, if I didn't make heaven and earth and appoint the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I'll cast away my descendants. In other words, it's not going to happen. And even as we saw in chapter 31, you can show them those verses. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. He says, if heaven above can be measured, if the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that... that they have done, says the Lord. If you can measure the heavens, can you understand the depths of the earth? No, we never will. So the Lord is saying, my promise to them and the covenant I'm making to them to restore them and bring them back into the land where the branch of righteousness, Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne of David, I will perform it. I will perform it. And I will do it. And that brings me great comfort because not only does it tell me we have a wonderful future that the Lord's going to come back and establish his kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him, but I know the promises that he gives to me and to you in his word that they are sure and they are certain. His word is certain and we don't have to doubt it. And maybe you've been doubting lately and maybe you've been uncertain Read the word of God and know that the promises that he gives to you, that they are sure, and he's not going to break it. We may not understand how he's going to work in our lives or how he's going to apply those promises and, and, and when they will be fulfilled exactly, but we can be sure that his word is true for you and for me. Well, I was hoping to go into chapter 34, but I think that we need to stop there we'll pick up chapter 34 next time and uh, again we're just going to be encouraged in god's word as we go through jeremiah lord i thank you for this time in your word we thank you that we can be sure of your promises given to us even as this is written you know 2600 years ago and you said that you will perform it 
and that the time's going to come when your people Israel will come back in the land. They will inhabit the ancient cities and work the land. Uh, we see a partial fulfillment of that. We'll see the ultimate fulfillment when Jesus Christ comes back. When he comes back, the branch of righteousness, uh, the Lord our righteousness sitting upon the throne of David. And we look forward to coming back with him. And then we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. It's going to be a wonderful future. And I hope that encourages anyone who thinks, Lord, what is the future? It seems so bleak. It seems doomed. It seems like I've just been in this prison, isolated. The word of the Lord has now come to you to encourage you that he is your future and hope and salvation and that he's going to bring his promises to you to pass. And you can be assured of that. His word is true. May that comfort you tonight. And may we also know that you are almighty God. There's nothing too hard for you to perform, to do, to work. And Lord, may we just have confidence in you in every way. And to know this, that as we call upon you, that you desire to show us great and mighty things, which we do not know. You still want to work in the days in which we're in. So may we call upon you, look to you, trust in you, rest in your love in every way. I pray, Lord, that, um, that as we move in the days ahead, that you would bless Calvary Chapel here, you bless the people that come. May we be a light to others, to know that you are our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're listening tonight. Maybe someone's listening to this message. If you've never given your life to Jesus, he came to die for you because sin is going to be judged. And Jesus came to take that judgment upon himself on the cross. He took the wrath of the Father as he died for you, took all of your sins upon himself, and he made atonement for your sins. He cried out, it is finished, and I did the work and paid the price. The perfect Lamb of God put into a grave, rose again, he conquered sin and death. He's the only one that can save you and forgive you. Come to the cross if you've never done that for forgiveness and a new life in Christ, a new relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, a new heart, a forgiven heart. Call upon the name of the Lord. And the great thing that he will do is that he will make you a new person and save you and forgive you. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for me and took my sins upon yourself and made atonement for my sins and you conquered sin and death and you're alive and your word is true just as we study tonight. So be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the future and the hope I now have, this new beginning, bringing me into the family of God. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. May the Lord bless you. May you, he just encourage you now. Looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. And have a great evening and a great rest of the week.